Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. One way to think about it or a metaphor for it is if you, if you know what a murmuration is, you know, one of these swirling clouds of birds, of swallows, and you're like, how do, how do those things work? <laughs> yeah, it's like, because clearly there isn't a bird with a to-do list taped to its wing going, look, take a left, then take a right, then take a left. There's no instruction booklet on how a swirling cloud of starlings emerges and shapes and reshapes itself. But they work on principles. You know, the basic principles are fly towards the center, fly as close to the other birds as possible, don't run into any of the other birds. And those are three principles that are uh, that are contradictory to each other and you're trying to find the best way of kind of balancing all three of those obligations the same is true with thrilling and important and daunting thrilling is often at odds with important and if it's too much of one or too much of the other if it's too if it's all just you and thrilling then it's just a self-centered goal and you know there's plenty of that around but i want it to be more than that if it's just important then there's a way that you can get burnt out or get sacrificed on a cause if you don't have that kind of intrinsic motivation that thrilling can bring you. And if it's not daunting, then there's a chance that you just plateau and you stop growing, you stop stretching, you stop learning. So the goal is to optimize the relationship between thrilling and important and daunting. So it's like you, I mean, I've never been, I've never recorded an album, but you know how you see in videos of people recording albums and they've got the big mixing desks and people are moving sliders up and down. You're trying to move sliders up and down with thrilling, important and daunting to find the best mix for the way that you want your worthy goal to sound. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Michael, welcome back to the Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. I am flattered to be back. Thank you for having me. It's nice to talk to you again. It is always a pleasure to talk to you. I enjoy our conversation so much. I mean, you were like one of the handful of people that was a guest before we were even called the Unmistakable Creative. So we go way That's back. That's right. Well, I feel yeah. we go way back. I'm like, and so it's been fun watching your journey as stuff has evolved and you've written books and you've kind of the podcast has blown up. It's been very cool to kind of cheer you on from the sidelines. Yeah. 
Well, I, I was thinking about how to start a conversation by asking a question that I hadn't asked you before. And then I got to the <laughs> end of the book. I got to the end of your book and I realized that I knew where I wanted to start. Right. Um, what is the most important thing that you ever learned from your father that has influenced and shaped who you've become and what you've done with your life? Uh, thank you for asking that. You know, the, the book ends with me writing a, a, an homage to my dad who died while I was writing the book. And, uh, we're, we're recording it basically a year since he died. So he's been on my mind in the last uh, few days. Um, I, you know, I, the thing that I admire about my dad, many things I admire about my dad, but I know that when he was facing death, he was utterly content about the life that he'd led. He said, you know, he'd clearly just gone, I've figured out what's important to me and I've spent time doing those things. And in a quiet, unassuming way, he just found contentment and joy and contribution in all that he did. So I, I'm, I'm not quite wired like my dad. Like my dad was on committees his whole life. And for me, a committee is slow death. I mean, I hate committees. <laughs> yeah, me too. But, but, but what I love about him is he just, he, he was absolutely a man of service. He's like, I'm yeah. serving my community. I'm serving the people around me, I'm bringing the best I have to help other people. And I hope that, and I think it does, that that light shines on the way I live my life as well, which is like I try and be a person of service to try and teach or contribute or help other people out. And I think that's one of the deeper rhythms that he's he's installed in me. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I've talked to a handful of people who have lost parents. And I think it, in my life, somebody asked me once, what's the thing I'm most afraid of? And I said, you know what? I haven't gotten married and I haven't had kids. I'm afraid that one or both of my parents will pass before that happens. And I've never feared right. any. That that literally is probably my greatest fear. Mm. And, you know, I feel like this is one of those experiences where there are no books. No matter how many books you read. I mean, no matter how many damn interviews I've done, I don't think anything is going to prepare me for that experience. And so I wonder how, you, you know, you navigate the birth of a book coexisting with the death of your father simultaneously <laughs> and, and manage that grief. Oh, it's an interesting question. You know, what's interesting about my dad dying is that I don't feel a lot of grief around it. And I don't feel that in part of the circumstance because I've lived away from Australia for 30 years. So he, that kind of physical closeness just hasn't been there for 30 years since I, since I moved. But, but more than that, there were just two things that were really helpful. One is this sense of being, of him having had a good life, um, and also not being afraid of death. And also I just, I was in Australia for the three or four months leading up to his death. I was living with mum and dad, helping them move through that transition and it actually meant that I was able to talk to him. He was able to talk to me. I was able to um, talk to mum and dad to help them kind of make sure that dad's impending death didn't damage the memories of that relationship because they'd been a very great couple for 55 years or, or thereabouts. And that last chapter that you read in the book, which is my my best way of trying to say to my dad how much he means to me. I, I, he got to read that. Like I, I, yeah. I typed that out and we sat together and he cried and I cried and mum cried as we read that. So I just had an incredible piece of luck or privilege where I was just like, I got to be very complete with my dad around his death. And that 
really means that I feel sadness that he has died and that he's no longer alive and part of my life like that. But I don't feel grief in that, that a kind of a dismembering or a sense of incompleteness. So, mm. uh, yeah, I, I, I've really got lucky there, Shuni. Yeah, you know, it's funny because literally you, you kind of teed up the question that I was going to ask next, which was this idea of sort of completing, you know, what it mm. is that you have left to say to each other. Because I feel like there's so many of us who have these things that we've always wanted to tell our parents that we never have, whether they're hard to say to them, things that upset yeah. us, things that disappoint us, or, or things that mean the world to us about them. Because my dad just yeah. turned 70 three weeks ago, and there's a you know there's a video of this on Instagram, and people are like, your dad is 70, he looks younger than you do. I was like, yeah, the man is right. a fucking genetic anomaly. I'm like, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. But my friend Gareth says, your dad is like the Indian Benjamin Button. Like, he literally ages in reverse. Um, and he just stopped aging at a certain point. It's, yeah. it's really bizarre. And, and, yeah. and it's funny because he summed up a thousand self-help books in four simple sentences. He was like, have one glass of wine every day. No more. He was like, try not to have any stress. Don't mix stress from work and home and a happy mm. wife equals a happy life. I was like, damn. Yeah. And here yeah, I have a thousand go. interviews, a thousand interviews. And the, you know, thing I needed most was literally right there. But sometimes it's the messenger, you know? Well, that's, that's totally right. Plus, if all your guests just had four sentences of wisdom and that was it, then you really wouldn't have the podcast worth listening to. So, you know, there's some upside yeah. to the fact that we're not all as eloquent as your dad. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? The, uh, the book I'm trying to write at the moment is a book about relationships and kind of seeded in part by, you know, what I've just been through with my mom and my dad. And we, don't we often don't actively manage our relationships we kind of get them into a decent place and we're like this is pretty good let's hope it carries on and hope that it doesn't have some sort of disaster that rips the fabric of it and hope that we have some really great moments as well and that conversation which is about let's have a conversation about our relationship rather than let's have a conversation about all the stuff that's going on that is in the context of our relationship is a rare one but um, I, I, I've certainly just gone. Look, I, 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 you know, I have my battle scars with my parents as well. But mostly, I want my parents to know that I'm grateful for what they've done and what they've given and what they've shown me. So I, I'm, I'm not actually a natural. Is kind of like touchy feely, tell everything. You know, I come from a, a, a family of British people. I'm Indian. I can relate. Yeah. We're all slightly uptight and we're like, you know, we we do sarcasm. We don't do affection. Um, But trying to (laughs) have these conversations with my mom and dad and just kind of going, this is what you mean to me. Yeah. It's been awkward as hell. And oh, I'm sure it would be for me too. Yeah. My dad would probably be like, just make sure you get my coffin at Costco. That's literally what he would tell me. There we go. I can do that as well, dad. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that, that, that's so interesting. Uh, well, let's do this. I mean, you know, it, it's funny because, I, like I said, a- anytime I talk to you, I could talk to you for hours on end. As you pointed out, all I have to do is just ask a question and I can keep you going. Um, right, right. Let's get into this book. Like, what is it mm. that prompted this as sort of your next natural follow up to The Coaching Habit? Yeah, well, you know, so I wrote The Coaching Habit in 2016, and that went on to be this kind of gangbuster success to, to my surprise and delight. Um, four years later, I wrote a book called The Advice Trap, which was meant mm. to be a deeper dive into why it was hard, why it was actually still hard to stay curious. Cause the coaching habit is 
here are seven good questions. If you can stay curious a little bit longer, you win, they win, everybody wins. It's how you be more coach-like. The advice trap is, yeah, it's hard, isn't it? Even if you have seven good questions, it's still hard to stay curious, particularly in some moments where you have a relationship where you're like, you may be trying to help. Turns out most of us are advice-giving maniacs. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time. And now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Oh, uh, trust me, that's well, that's a whole other conversation. We'll have to get that's into that. A, exactly. So this next book, I'm like, you know, I am still trying to find a way of articulating what it takes to change behavior because, you know, so much of the work and the conversations you and I have 
in general and broadly with the people we talk to comes down to, look, to, to live a better life, you have to shift your behavior in some way. Mm-hmm. So it's like, yeah. it's really hard. <laughs> it's really hard. Mm-hmm. We are creatures of habit and we like to stay the way we are. So to actively change your behavior, what does that take? And I'm like, you know, if I can do what I try and do as a writer is I try and make complicated things feel more practical and accessible and everyday for people. So I'm like, maybe I could take a crack at that. So I, I wrote a first draft of a book and I showed it to a few people and there was a unilateral agreement that this is a terrible book. It wasn't even a book. It was just a very, <laughs> a very disappointing, confusing, rambling collection of random words. I was like, okay, that was harsh, but probably fair. And when I kind of picked my way through the rubble of this first draft, there was one phrase that stood out for me and felt useful and true, which was, we unlock our greatness by working on the hard things. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to figure out what it takes to unlock greatness that, you know, the, the best versions of who we can be. And if it's true that hard things, the right hard things unlock greatness, how do you find the right hard things for you? You know, what's, What's the thing? And so I suddenly went, maybe I'm writing a book about goal setting. And I'm like, I, do I, oh, do I want to do that? I don't think I do. I, I hate goal setting and uh, I hate smart goals. I've never used smart goals. I mean, I parrot the words, but I don't ever really use smart goals. So I was like, okay, so goal setting, but it has to be more than a kind of banal summary of goal setting. And so I thought about this idea of setting a worthy goal, something that was thrilling and important and daunting. Thrilling, it lights you up. Important, it gives more to the world than it takes. And daunting, it invites you to go to the edge of your own confidence and your own competence. And I figure if, I mean, you know this, Vinny, as as a creative and thinking about productivity and unlocking creativity, there's so much you can be doing. How do you make the choice about the big thing to commit to? Like, yeah. you know, if I'm looking at you, I'm like, are you, is it a book? Is it a podcast? Is it a business? Is it a community? What's the worthy goal? That's the big thing that might pull some of those things together or make you choose one over the others. How do you actually say this feels like a thing that's worth committing to? You know, it's funny you, you say that. Cause I remember when I worked with my mentor, Greg, the first probably month we worked together, he said, okay, I want you to write down a list of all the things you're doing right now to make money. And then he's like, how many of these do you want to be doing five years from now? And I was like, the podcast and writing. And he was like, stop doing all the other ones right now because I'm going to have to work my ass off to do, to, you know, work, rechange your identity because you're so identified with all that crap. Mm -hmm. Well, that's right. And um, it's actually one of the hardest things. It's one thing to actually articulate a worthy goal, like podcast and writing, just like you were doing. Mm-hmm. But then there becomes a moment where you're like, well, are you up for it? <laughs> are you willing to pay the price that that choice implies? Yeah. You know, if you're saying yes to this and you're really saying yes to it, not I'm, this is, I'm enthusiastic about it because yeah, we get that. But if you're uh-huh. really saying there's a commitment to this, you then got to say, what am I going to say no to? And you're saying no to current expectations of yourself and current expectations other people have of you and ways relationships work and ways you fill your time and ways you spend your money. You're saying no to a bunch of stuff that are entangled with your sense of identity right here and right now. So it is a uncomfortable and disruptive experience when you say yes to something that feels 
like a worthy goal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I want to talk about this in the context of, of prescriptive advice and, and the advice trap, because you know, like, mm. I had been talking to a few friends and I, I I just started the first idea I had a book for was, was not another damn self-help book because like I finally yeah. came to this realization that I was like, man, if I actually could implement all the advice I've ever gotten from every person I've interviewed, <laughs> I'd be a billionaire with six pack abs and a harem of supermodels. And I am none yeah. of those things. Oh, well, and, I'm none of those things because I've well, actually implemented all of that advice. So you're, you're well, right. If you implement yeah. advice, you, you too can be like me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like, okay, I've spoken to Justine Musk. Am I ever going to be on the level of Elon? Fuck no. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it really got me thinking. And, you know, what started out as not another damn self-help book, uh, you know, and I was yeah. like, that's not it. And the funny thing is I went back and, and I remember like you, there was one phrase that I said over and over and over in every interview I ever did about Unmistakable, the first book I wrote. I said, yeah. we could have just as easily called this book Everybody is Full of Shit because that's what I said. I just said it in a more diplomatic way. Right. And yeah. my friend was like, well, why don't you? And I was like, write that as a book. And I was like, yeah, I uh, would have to have that. And so I said, I will write a book titled Everybody is Full of Shit, including me. Because yes. context matters when it comes to prescriptive advice. And that was really mm-hmm. the, I think mm-hmm. that's the big thing that I finally realized is that we treat even advice from a book like yours, right? Somebody will look at this and say, oh, okay, I'm going to plug my you know worthy goal into this framework that Michael has created and I'm going to be on the other side of the threshold. But that's not how it's right. going to work. You and I both know right, that. Right. So let, let's, let's get into that and, and look at this through that context with the idea in mind that everybody is full of shit, including me and you and everybody else that we talk to. Well, you know, I, I, I don't have a, I don't have a problem with advice. Like advice is one of the core currencies of civilization. It's why there are books. It's why you and I write books. It's why you and I host and guest on podcasts. It is a, I've got stuff. Let me teach you. Let me show you. Let me express it. And maybe that's helpful for you. So the problem isn't advice. The problem is when advice giving is your default response. So when we're having a conversation on a podcast like this, it would be really annoying if I didn't have some actual content (laughs) to offer up. (laughs) Like, what, why, why do you, Michael, stop asking questions back to my questions. Give me something here, you know, because it's context, which is like, this is actually about an exchange of information. This is a chance for me to go, look, I've got an opinion on some stuff. Let me tell you what my opinion is. But what often happens in day-to-day life outside the context of a book or a podcast or whatever is like, you know, Trini, you come up to me and you go, hey, Michael, God, you know, this thing, I've got this thing going on with my team at the moment, blah, blah, blah. And because I have a team and because I run a small business like you and because I'm an author and because I'm a podcast host, because, 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 because I'm like, oh, this is amazing. I know exactly what Trini should be doing here. So Stop talking. I, I get it. Stop talking. Let me just give you what I've I just read this thing or I've just heard about this thing or have you tried this or have you thought of that? But here's the thing. Even though you and I have known each other for decades now, I don't know you and I don't know your business and I don't know the person involved and I don't know the context and I don't know the culture and I don't know the minutiae and I don't know what was there before. I don't know what you're dreaming afterwards. I have so little idea of the context and I don't even really know what the real problem is because I have because the first problem is never the real problem. It's just the place you start. So I haven't even gone, but you know, Shrini, what's the real challenge here for you in this? And if we get to a place where I'm like, I, you go, oh, 
Michael, here it is. Here's the real challenge in all of this for me. There's another moment where I'm like, oh, maybe I should give him advice now because we found the real challenge. That's exciting. But if I go, look, my goal, and this is how I define being coach-like, can you stay curious a little bit longer? Can you rush to action and advice giving a little bit more slowly? So I go, this is exciting. We found the real problem. What are your ideas? What are your thoughts around how you might tackle that? And you'll have ideas and you'll have thoughts. And then finally, when you've shared your ideas, I might add one or two of my own. So when my advice comes, it comes later (laughs) when we know what the problem is and we know what the context and I know how I can help you best. And I know what you already know so that I'm actually, my advice has a, a, a bigger chance of actually being helpful for you. Yeah, well, it's funny because I, you know, I, I did all this writing about productivity and, and all this stuff. And mm. one of my friends said, you don't know your audience. And I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? I've known mm. this audience for 10 years. And then one of my listeners who has also been a guest here, and I've shared this before, showed up to one of our mastermind calls with a baby in tow. And I was like, all right, Michelle, I'm uh, like, everything I'm telling you is nonsense. I'm giving your productivity advice based on the life of a single guy. Um So that's when I realized, so that's the advice giving part. But the thing is the Mm -hmm. advice taking part is also problematic because I think there's this real danger for people to treat guidance like gospel and confuse causation with correlation. It's like, oh, this person lights scented candles and they're a best-selling author. So I'm going to do that every morning. It's like, Mm -hmm. what about the part where they sat in the chair and spent hours writing the book? Exactly. And the candle had gone out and they didn't even notice because they were writing the book. Yeah, I mean, I love Seth Godin talking about, you know, when people go, but Seth, how, what pencils do you use to write your books? Like, <laughs> why would that, why would that even matter? Because I use this and that, but that's not the thing that gets books written. The, the thing is you find your own tools, you find your own path. Yeah. So there is, there is a discernment, which is like, is there a principle here you're teaching me or is there a tactic here you're teaching me? Cause a principle mm. can be really powerful. A tactic is a bit more hit and miss because it just depends on everything. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember, folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Yeah. Wow. Well, let's get into uh, a couple of the, the key sort of concepts here. You know, you talk mm. about this idea of importance, some, something being thrilling, important, daunting. And you say that thrilling is a countermeasure against a sense of obligation. The yeah. tendrils of expectations, others on our own can keep us rooted to the spot. Important is a countermeasure against selfishness. I'm all for investing in yourself, personal exploration and growth. But for the most part, self-help is not sufficient to create a better world. Probably my favorite quote from the book. Well, uh, daunting is a countermeasure against the comfort zone. Endless influences encourage you to grind it out, play it safe and keep it small. Mm. So why do we even need these countermeasures? I mean, how is it that those countermeasures end up like, I mean, how do we end up, you know, finding ourselves doing things that are not thrilling, that are you know, yeah. only in the, you know, basically catering to self-interest and cause us to play it safe. You know, I, I wanted to do two things with this book. This is my big dream. Um, I want to unlock the best of people and I want the best of people working on stuff that matters because, uh, because, you know, one is about a commitment to individual and collective potential, and one is a commitment to making, you know, having our earth survive <laughs> because, you know, we're on all sorts of crises in all sorts of ways in terms of how we are as a, as a population, as a community, as environmental stewards, you know, you, you name your cause and it's probably an issue with it. So these three elements, thrilling, important and daunting, they're not additive. It's not thrilling plus important plus daunting. What they are is they're three principles that are in tension with each other. You know, one way to think about it or a metaphor for it is if you, if you know what a murmuration is, you know, one of these swirling clouds of birds, of swallows, 
And you're like, how do, how do those things work? <laughs> yeah, it's like, because clearly there isn't a bird with a to-do list taped to its wing going, look, take a left, then take a right, then take a left. There's no instruction booklet on how a swirling cloud of starlings emerges and shapes and reshapes itself. But they work on principles. You know, the basic principles are fly towards the center, fly as close to the other birds as possible, don't run into any of the other birds. And those are three principles that are uh, that are contradictory to each other and you're trying to find the best way of kind of balancing all three of those obligations the same is true with thrilling and important and daunting thrilling is often at odds with important and if it's too much of one or too much of the other if it's too if it's all just you and thrilling then it's just a self-centered goal and you know there's plenty of that around but i want it to be more than that if it's just important then there's a way that you can get burnt out or get sacrificed on a cause if you don't have that kind of intrinsic motivation that thrilling can bring you. And if it's not daunting, then there's a chance that you just plateau and you stop growing, you stop stretching, you stop learning. So the goal is to optimize the relationship between thrilling and important and daunting. So it's like you, I mean, I've never been, I've never recorded an album, but you know how you see in videos of people recording albums and they've got the big mixing desks and people are moving sliders up and down. You're trying to move sliders up and down with thrilling, important and daunting to find the best mix for the way that you want your worthy goal to sound. So you go in then to what you call the Goldilocks zone, where what you say mm. is you're gauging the goal's doability, the scope, the weight, um, to, and to make sure it's suitably thrilling and daunting because you know, and I love this. You say, you know, too big. I want to solve racism is too abstractly aspirational. Doesn't yeah. have a just, you know, right feel to it. Locating your worthy goal in the Goldilocks zone is the way to ensure that it has the right amount of heft. And I, I really appreciated that because I think that you call that something that I see very often. I, I mean, I will have people who, you know, have come to me and say, uh, I want you to coach me on how to write a million, you know, to write a book that sells a million copies. And I've never written right. a book. I don't have a platform. I was like, I'm not going to do that because I've never yeah. sold a million books and you're setting yourself up for failure. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's a couple of things going on here. The first is the, probably the key meta lesson of the first third of the book is your first draft of a worthy goal is not going to be your best draft. And it's probably not yet your worthy goal. It's a great place to start, but first drafts are always a bit crappy. So consider this first jotting down of a worthy goal, your best guess at what you think a worthy goal might be as a really good start. And there's more work to do. And in the book, we go through kind of three rounds of drafting the worthy goal so that you're constantly looking to go, well, how do I up the thrilling and up the important and up the daunting so that it feels about right? You know, I was teaching a class yesterday online and a woman was like, well, my worthy goal is to help people helping people. And I'm like, that is a brilliant, broad vision for something that might drive you. But it's not a worthy goal yet, because what do you do with that? And I always think about it. And, you know, I've got an equivalent to that. The, the language I have around myself is, how do I infect a billion people with the possibility virus? Now, that, that sounded much better before the pandemic, but, you know, you get the idea. <laughs> like, you know, how, how do I give people the, the opportunity to make the braver choice about the options that they see in front of themselves? So the way I think of a worthy goal is I'm like, what's the best thing that I can be working on 
that would serve that bigger vision that I have. So for the woman going, I want to help people who want to help people. I'm like, that's a great kind of North Pole, North Star destination. But now what? What's what's your best guess? Is it a podcast? Is it a book? Is it a coaching program? Is it um, a, a better relationship with your family? I mean, it could be any number of different things around that. So it's like draft and redraft and redraft because you're looking for that right combination of intrinsic and extrinsic motivation because when a worthy goal gets difficult, which it will because it's daunting, <laughs> so there's all sorts of difficulty baked into this, you need to actually go, do I have enough pull and enough push to keep me going at times where I'm tempted to quit? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that, you know, the thing that I appreciated so much was that you really kind of, you know, uh, were very clear on having, you know, sort of these limits, like, you know, commitment, reach, time, scope, and standard. Um, mm. Talk to me about those, because I feel like those are so overlooked in this process. Yeah. Well, it's it's the first kind of path, you know, passes at the worthy goal allows you to kind of claim ambition for yourself and for the world. And you're like, it's, it's actually inviting people to be bigger and bolder and braver. But at a certain point, you've got to kind of try and get a bit more specific so that you're a little clearer about what success is. So, um, you know, to, to the story you told before about a woman going, I'd like to write a, a book that has a million people, uh, sells a million copies. And I'm like, well, <laughs> yeah, I'm like, yeah, we'd all like that. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've even done that once and I have no idea how to do it. I'd love to do it again. I just don't know how. So, but you're like, okay, so let's now work on the daunting side of it. It's like, honestly, if you can get a book that sells 10,000 copies, you are ahead of the game. There aren't many yeah. people who can sell 10,000 copies of a book. Honestly, if you can get a book that sells 1,000 copies, you're actually you're doing well, better than average. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so exactly. Like, so it's, it's then a conversation about how do you ground it in something that is appropriately daunting? Because it's like daunting enough to try and sell 1,000 copies of a book. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not daunting for me. Like I know that I can sell a thousand copies of a book that I write. That's not yeah. hard at all for me. Um, but it was at one stage, but now, so I'd have a different, I'd have a different goal. Now I yeah. actually wouldn't actually set a sales target for a book because one of the things I've come to learn is there's very little you can do to control actually who buys your book. Trust so I'm me. much <laughs> more committed to a process where I'm like, how do I write a book that is um, the shortest book that I can write that is the most useful book on yeah. building relationships or whatever it might be that I'm writing on next? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, so the other thing I want to talk about is uh, what you call prizes and punishments because mm. I – you know, you say prizes comfortly, com- you know, comfort broadly speaking. The prize you're, you're prize for not taking on the worthy goal is the maintenance of what you've gathered in your life so far. Punishments, yeah. cost. You have to see both sides of the equation before you can see how it all adds up. And yeah. so the thing that you know I, I run up against over and over again when you know I, I in my writing, my audience is you know the same sort of handful of you know excuses or obstacles. Right? It's like oh, I don't have time. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, but somehow. People, like Laura, Laura Vanderkam said probably the smartest thing I'd ever heard about time. And she summed up time management in one sentence. She's like, if you can't find time for something, it's not a priority. Right. Well, that's, that is, I think that's true. And 
And what it, one of the things that I think that reminds me at least is the, the, the luck, the privilege I have of having some time and being able to create time. You know, um, I'm married. I do have a wife, but I don't have kids. And that was a very happy, active, deliberate choice to be child free. Um, but it doesn't mean that, for instance, I have more time to myself because I don't have obligations of running kids around to sporting events or cooking meals for kids or just being tired <laughs> from looking after kids. So I do think that, um, it is true that there are some times where you're like, you know what? Me raising a family or me needing to do three jobs just so I can pay my bills actually is a statement of what is a priority for me. Mm -hmm. Then you go, so if you, if you, if you're driven by writing a book, say, like not many people, sensible people don't want to write books. People like you and me write books because we're not that sensible. But if, if, say, yeah. say for the sake of argument, somebody's going, but you know what? I have three jobs and I want to write a book. Then you get into this conversation. And this is why this question is so powerful. The yes and the no question, which is like, well, what are you willing to sacrifice to, to say yes to writing this book? Because it's unrealistic to think you can just add on to your already full life. So yeah. what, 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 what do you say no to? Is it a particular treat? You know, is it a certain amount of time? Is it sleeping in till six o'clock in the morning? Now you have to wake up at four thirty in the morning to get forty-five minutes of writing in every day. What are the choices you're making around that? And the second third of the book is a question of basically: Are you really up for this? Are you prepared to pay the price? Are you prepared for the opportunity cost of you saying yes to this? Because mm. those prices and those opportunity costs are there. Yeah, I, I realize at some point in my life that there is literally nothing in life that you get without giving something else up. Like, and, and I realize right. that every decision in life is a trade-off between freedom and security. Right. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a broad generalization. I mean, I think you're probably, you know, when somebody tells me they're working three jobs to get, you know, put food on the table and keep the lights on, I'm like, okay, your excuse for you saying you don't have time is a legitimate obstacle. It's not an excuse. Right. But a lot of other people saying they don't have time, I'm like, no, it's just that you don't manage it the way you should. Well, I think, I mean, I just want people to look at reality and go, if you had to find time, where would you find it? If you had to mm -hmm. find time, what would you stop doing? And I, I, I do think that people like you and me run the danger of getting a bit too gung ho and going, look, yeah, we're, we're relatively wealthy. We're relatively time rich. We're relatively money rich. We've, we've just got more resource that we can draw on to do some of this stuff. And yeah. then you project it. And then I do this. I project it onto the world going, well, I can do this. So you should be able to do it as well. And I'm like, ah, oh, you know what? When other people say that, I did this, I climbed this mountain, literally or metaphorically. So just do what I did. I'm like, oh, that's that's just not that helpful. No, but no, this idea yeah. of this is why it's teaching a principle rather than a tactic. The principle is examine your life, understand you've got choices to make, and understand the consequences of saying yes and saying no. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I appreciate that so much because I, I think that that is, you know, something that I became, you know, painfully aware of, I think, over the last probably year or two, uh, as I've talked to, you know, people like Seth Godin, people like you, mm. like, you know what, it's so much of, of what we do and, and, you know, what we write about, what we talk about. I'm like, this caters to 
an audience that is in a position of privilege. And it's on us yeah. to keep that in mind. Like when we don't do that, you know, in a lot of ways, sometimes I, I have even thought, have we planted seeds of dissatisfaction where there were none before when you start to tell people, oh, you need to go live this like remarkable life. You need to go be, you know, have a four hour work week when they were perfectly yeah. happy. Yeah. You know, I, I, I personally have a bit of a response to, to the gurus. You know, I went to a conference some years ago and every keynote speaker had clearly been taught the same basic structure for a keynote speech, which is like, I'm amazing, but I wasn't always amazing. Here are my hardships. I had, and there's kind of a checklist of hardships that people tick off. And I was like, ah, and I was going to die, but I metaphorically and, but I didn't. And this, this is how I drove action. And it was just down to me and my own grit and my own self-esteem and my own awareness and my own hard work. And it just feels like that is a, whilst I'm sure those stories are, are basically true. They're also exceptions rather than the rule. And they're also, yep. I just feel like they're, they're, they're pushing. Cause often there's like, and you can get my secrets for how to do this upsold at the back of the room. And it just feels <laughs> a, li a little bit snake oily. Well, you know, I, I, I ended up writing this article, uh, after, you know, I mean, the thing that I, I think I finally came to, it takes us back to context. I wrote this piece titled why outliers are terrible role models for most of us. Mm, that's right. Uh, and it's because if you think about it, right, who ends up being the people who speak at conferences, uh, write books, end up on the covers of magazines, they're all outliers. And right. I remember, I'll never forget this. My dad it was right after I finished business school. I was struggling to find a job. And my dad says to me, well, not everybody can be the next Steve Jobs. And it pissed me off um, because I was like, you would never tell my sister that she can't be any kind of doctor, you know, that right. she wants to be. To my surprise. If you go and look through my Medium articles, you will find an article titled, You're Probably Not Going to Become the Next Steve Jobs Oprah. Right, Johnson, right. <laughs> which was hilarious, right. like, you know, to think. Right, it's like, wait right. a minute. He was right. And I Damn didn't want to hear that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's this different, it's like, what are you promising? And I think it's all about the promise that you're making, which is like, if I can get, give you the courage to make some courageous choices about the life you live, then you can figure out what happiness means to you. That is a broader, vaguer, but truer promise than I can, you know, you can be a millionaire, you can be the next Steve Jobs, you can be on the, the cover of the magazine, which is the the promise people hear or the promise mm. that's often kind of made. And I think that promise is a slippery one. Yeah. So one of the things that you talk about is this idea that growth is an S-curve. You start slow, move more yeah. quickly up the curve and finally begin to plateau to continue to grow to unlock your greatness. You need to make the leap to the next S curve and to the next yeah. stage. And I, I wish I had actually pulled this for our conversation because um, there's a clip from Ryan holiday uh, in one of our interviews where he talks about sort of the next level. And he says, right. you know, yeah, I've sold a million, you know, millions of books. He said, and the thing is that, you know, everybody thinks that, Oh, I'll be happy when, you know, I sell a million books. Then what? He was like, it's, it's not, you know, <laughs> like hit a home run. It's, you know, hit a grand slam during the, the, the world series. Like, and it just keeps going and right. going and going. So how do you, you know, create this, you know, sort of balance between growth and fulfillment? Because where does that? Oh, can't believe we've got like two minutes to try and figure out the, the greatest conundrum of human life, which is around where do you, where, where's your, what does growth what does success look like? What mean to you now? 
And I think that's in some ways the question that you need to keep asking, which is like, so what, the, what is success for me? And what I suspect is as you get older, and if you're lucky enough to have had some external success, like Brian, you know, selling a million and a half copies of his books or whatever, or having X hundred thousand people follow you on social media or whatever your metric is. It just is true for lots of us that we get, we, we hit the, we get those trophies and we're like, meh, okay. All right, good. That was a brief moment of glory. And now what? Um, you know, and it comes back to timeless wisdom, which is like, in the end, you keep chopping the wood and carrying the water because the contentment is often, am I doing work that in itself is a reward for what I do? So, you know, I, you know, the Coaching Habit book has sold north of a million copies now, and that is approximately 1.2 million copies more than I thought I would sell of that book. So it's like, it's amazing. So there's one part of me going, it's like, Michael, stop writing books, because now you're just going to write disappointing follow-ups to the Coaching Habit book in terms of sales numbers. But I, I feel like I've got a sense of purpose, and I get a sense of contentment from writing books. So I'm trying to become more of a writer. I'm trying to actually reframe my identity as being not an author, somebody who has books, but a writer, somebody who makes writing central to his creative life. And that's how I'm trying to define success, which is like, am I being a writer? Am I living that life? Hmm. All right. So in the interest of time, we're going to finish with two questions because uh, both of us have meetings, you know, thanks yeah, to yeah. our stupid tech debacles. You go into sort of four groups of people that you talk about, the healer slash lover, the teacher, the magician, the visionary ruler, and the trickster. Tell me about the roles those people play in our lives. Yeah. So one of the key beliefs I have is when you're trying to do a worthy goal, you shouldn't travel alone. It's, it's just, it's a hard, impossible really to do a worthy goal by yourself. And then the question is, so who do you bring in to help? Particularly if you're kind of a bit sort of solo oriented, like I am, for instance. And I just, um, borrowed wisdom from North American indigenous wisdom, which is calling in the direction. So as you say, four main directions, the warrior, the healer, the teacher, and then the visionary. And then you've got a kind of fifth energy, which is the trickster. And it's really going, you know, each one of those has a certain energy and power and skill to it. The warrior is about boundaries and kind of pushing back. The healer is about rest and recovery and renewal. The teacher is about learning wisdom, knowing what you don't know, knowing what you don't know you don't know. And the visionary is about ambition and horizons and a ruthlessness and a drive. And the question is, for you and your worthy goal in this moment, which energies do you have and which energies don't you have? And how do you, how, and who do you need to call in and lean on and get support from if you're missing certain energies? So it's just a different framework to kind of go, how, who do I need to get around me to do this? Because if you're doing it by yourself, you're making it hard for yourself. Hmm. Wow. Well, I want to wrap with my final question, which it's always fun to ask people this question when they're coming back for a second time to see how it changes from their previous mm. answer. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? I think it is having done enough work that you find your own voice. It just takes time to find a way that feels real and true and quirky in terms of this is how I show up and I say my stuff. 
It's learning how to trust what's weird about you. It's learning how to let go of the stuff that doesn't really fit you. And eventually you find a way to kind of go, this is actually, you know, I've got a little, I've got a little volume knob on my, my desk, which goes to 11 because it's a nod to spinal tap. And it's like, you know, do you, have you figured out how to turn your own volume up to 11? And that makes you unmistakable. It's funny because you, I think you told me that last time and it was still one of my favorite answers. Like, I, I'm <laughs> oh, pretty sure. Okay? You know what? That actually is a quote. I, I think I directly quote you at the end of Unmistakable. It's, the very, <laughs> it's in the conclusion to the book. It's like, turn the volume up to 11, you know, 10 and blow yeah. out the speakers. That's funny. Well, I don't know whether I'm just unimaginative or consistent or both. No, of those consistent is great. I love that answer. I always have that, you know. Yeah. Um, to, it, it just, you know, to me, that is, you know, in a lot of ways, you know, it's that, that is a lot of ways. The embodiment of unmistakable is to be unapologetic and run the volume. Yeah. 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 Well, um, as always, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us. It's been a pleasure. Wisdom at insights. Where can people find out more about you, uh, your books, everything else they're up to? Sure. You know, the best place is the website, which is mbs.works. Um, if you want the corporate training company, that's boxofcrayons.com. But for kind of more individual stuff and helping people be a force for change, mbs.works. Awesome. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10 year, 100,000 mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch, the skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.